The Big Picture, a Christian insight into the world of movies, television and pop culture with magazine editor Ben McKechn and scriptwriter Mark Hadley. A Bible Society Australia production, sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world. Bonjour, I'm Ben McKechn. And I'm his extraterrestrial friend Mark Hadley. Welcome to episode 116 of The Big Picture for the week beginning July 17. And coming up on today's show, it's our unusual TV extravaganza. But just how unusual can our TV extravaganza be? Well, The Handmaid's Tale and Australian Ninja Warrior are in the same show. Plus, what on earth are American Gods and the top five TV shows you've probably never heard of? Lots to look forward to there. But someone we've all heard of, Sam Robinson. G'day, mate. Hello, I've missed you guys. Oh, I've been here for a few weeks. Bring it in, everyone. It's a group hug. Group hug. Huddle. <laughs> it's too hard with the studio desk yeah, between us. It's true. But, well, but I'm uh, imagining it, though. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and I'm a little disturbed that you're imagining that. We'll just <laughs> yeah. move on. Now, bring me up to speed. What is out in cinemas this week, Ben? Uh, chaps, uh, a movie that I know you've all seen and you've all loved, Baby Driver. It opened at cinemas last week. Um, I gave it a full review on the show last week. Go to thebigpicturewebsite.com and take a listen to what I had to say about this new movie, Baby Driver, that so many people are raving, raving, raving about. And slap your wrist if you haven't subscribed to our podcast. What are you doing? That's right. Seriously. If you've missed an episode of The Big Picture, because we're up to what? 116 now. That means there's 115. There's still an opportunity for grace. You can subscribe tonight. That's right. There we go. Go to Find us on iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. Um, And also coming up this week, the Dark Knight director goes to World War II. Mm. Dunkirk, directed by Christopher Nolan. It's his big scale reenactment of the very famous Allied troops versus German Stausch. We're going to review it on the show next next week straight from the Sydney premiere. There's going to be a premiere report coming in on the big picture next week about Dunkirk. Cool. What's on the telly, Mark? Mate, I am really pleased with the ABC sometimes, sometimes not, but sometimes very pleased. They're actually doing a series called Growing Up Gracefully. It begins this Wednesday, 19 July, 9.30pm. So have a look at this. Sisters Hannah and Eliza Riley, two sort of misguided 20-somethings, rediscovered a book called uh, for teen advice called Growing Up Gracefully. It was written in the 1950s. So they decided to ask them Themselves, does this really have any application to people today? So <laughs> cool. one yeah. of them is going to live their life according to the 1950s guidebook for growing up gracefully. While That's the, a great idea. While the other one basically follows to 2017 social mores. I wonder what growing up gracefully had to say about Twitter. <laughs> Possibly nothing. But yeah. it probably had a lot to say about when you should and should not speak. Mm, rather. Okay, also on Channel 7, well, this is the counterbalance to everything, okay? So, Channel 7, poor misguided Channel 7, in their wisdom, have brought us Yummy Mummies, which starts this Tuesday at 8.30pm. I can only, actually, I don't even <laughs> want to imagine what that, what is that? Four glamorous, somewhat interchangeable mums, <laughs> as they navigate pregnancy, diet, expensive prams, elaborate baby showers. Oh, so they're not, they're not mums yet, they're like mums-to-be. They're, they're mums-to-be. Like mums. Yeah, you know, kind of think of... You know, real the real lives of football mums, but basically approaching childhood. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Look, it's probably more of a you know, Sopranos meets Desperate Housewives. Um, if <laughs> yeah, I were right. you, um, and, and, just plan to be somebody else somewhere else on Tuesdays at eight thirty p.m. Okay. Let's do uh, some true or false trivia, Mark. You got a question for us? Indeed, I am. Now, The Beguiled is opening soon, and so Sofia Coppola's latest film sees her collaborating with the actress Kirsten Dunst for the fourth time. Fourth time. I know. This is the fourth time that. Sophia Coppola and Kirsten Dunst have been in films together. Mm. Now, 
what did Sophia Coppola request of her actress this time around? So they built up a bit of a relationship. Mm-hmm. So it feels like she can actually put some things on her. A, B, or C. Did she ask her to take Southern elocution lessons five times a week? Because mm-hmm. the film was actually set in the Sounds South. reasonable. Did she ask her to lose 10 kilos for the role? Sounds impolite. <laughs> Did she ask her to learn to dress war wounds <laughs> using antique Civil War medical instruments and sheep's blood? What? Uh, whoa. Uh, so, A, B, or C, it's going to be some, one of those three. We'll check in a little later after our next review. I really want it to be C. <laughs> Lads, I've been a little bit inspired lately by a certain TV show. Have you? What's that? Uh, yummy Mummies? Not, not Yummy Mummies. <laughs> no. It's, it's not, not Twin Peaks. On yet, Actually, Australian Ninja Warrior. Ah. Yes. Oh, that would explain done, the black jumpsuit. This is <laughs> done pretty well, yes. <laughs> Ripping off a Japanese show which was ripped off by the Americans. Uh, Australian Ninja Warrior debuted this week and was the number one show every night in which it was on. And Ben braved our challenge to tackle Australian Ninja Warrior. But has he returned full of stamina and strength and maybe even some stealth? The 22-year-old from Victoria flying across these tilting frames. This is some sort of time tonight, but it won't count for anything unless he can make it up the wall. Here he goes, big hair, big hopes, and he's home! That's incredible stuff. Time. You did that in one, one minute. minute. Okay, it's an obstacle course, right? I mean, I've got this right. It's an uh, awesome obstacle okay, course, sorry, Mark. Sorry, please. I think an it's awesome the ultimate ob- obstacle course. How is it? Okay, my question remains. <laughs> how is this going to sustain itself as a program? Right, that is a really good question, but it has been sustaining itself around the world for a long time um, after it came out of Japan, went across to America. As the intro to Australian Ninja Warrior will tell you every episode, you know, it's in dozens of countries, thousands have tried to beat this course. Only 10 in the world have actually done it. Um, it's on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday nights, and it's already picked up like 1.6 or 1.7 million viewers every night this week in Australia. So loads of people are watching this, which then comes to your question, Mark, how is it going to sustain itself? I don't have a very strong answer to that at the moment because I couldn't find myself watching an entire episode. I really tried, but how repetitive it gets with watching competitor after competitor try to beat this ultimate obstacle course, I found very difficult to get into. We just heard a clip from uh, featuring Ashlyn Herbert, who's a young tradie from Victoria, who smashed the course and did it in like a, in, did like a minute. Like, okay, that's, that's cool. And then other people come along and they fail at the first obstacle and all that sort of thing. Like... I go back to your question mark I don't know it's a really good one and I don't think I'll be tuning in every week because I can't understand how they can make the format like how they can really freshen it up now that's the weird thing because I actually haven't watched the program yet and yet I have been sent clips from friends and they're specifically about personality okay so it's all about yes, look yes. at this young guy do you think that's what it's going to be that's basically going to generate a following behind this young mum or that young tradie or this football player or something like that well they're, def- they're definitely trying that from from the outset and like thousands of people tried out for this very soon actually we're going to be interviewing someone who tried out for Australian Ninja Warrior that interview is coming up very soon thousands of people tried out um, across five nights like 50 contestants were going in the first five nights 50 contestants are going up among those contestants we get all these different backstories and these short clips like Mark's been seeing. And if you go to uh, the Channel 9 website online, they've just got all these clips of people's backstories, where they're coming from. You get everyone from a guy dressed up as Captain America to a deaf cricketer. You get ex-Olympians and Indigenous workers. There are gym owners, and there's a woman who goes to the gym with a snake. 
Like, there's all these is stories she of people. To use the snake? That she's not, and not an Australian Ninja Warrior. She's not, but uh, in her gym, apparently oh, she okay. is. I, I I found that very very odd. But look, <laughs> um, is, are the contestants going to generate a following? Possibly, I mean, but only only so much as maybe in like a way that American wrestling has done. And like, but that, if, but you, that's a very if you can create format. some, yeah. but if you can create a character almost within the show, but use their backstory as part of that, if if people actually start getting on board, some kind of personal story thing, yeah. maybe. But it's yeah. go back to the bit where it's a really, it's a very challenging, hard course, but it's very short, and and there's only so much people can do. On it, so you don't get to know people that much on the show. You know what I mean? Can I just flick over to you quickly, Sam? The um, you're okay enamored of the show. Is it because ish. you want a ish? <laughs> Is it because you want to be like this? Oh, or? I've got no chance of being like this. I think I just want people to see people succeed. You know, yeah. as they as they, they they're jumping up these really tall walls and running. You know, like there are some amazing feats exactly, that are going on. Yeah. The way people can can push themselves, and if it you must, can, li- it I must think be that generosity of spirit that Gen Y has. But I think this it's is also why I don't realize it's- we grew up with gladiators, and this oh. is pretty much gladiators. Ah, but but yeah. but but not as lighthearted. And it's the same with I, I want yes. some some of the commentary like wipeout. Sometimes I, I find <laughs> the, the commentators on this um, Rebecca Madden and Ben Fordham can be a bit too overly earnest. Like everything is triumph for the spirit. Everything. And sometimes, particularly when people are showing up dressed up like Captain America, you think you might actually, you know... You want sound effects. You you do want a bit of boing in the background. (laughs) Did you find that this show show talks about strength and perseverance? It has something to say about it? Look, I think it it does. And and, and all jokes aside, I think you're hitting on something, Sam, that I think a lot of people will be watching this because it represents something about people that we often like, which is people persevering and striving and pushing themselves to limits and being focused on a goal, even if it's difficult and demanding, they want to succeed. And... It, like so it gets me thinking as I'm watching various clips of Australian Ninja Warrior like if I'm really passionate about something I want to be dedicated to something it's amazing what you can actually do and so in some brief way some small way in Australian Ninja Warrior I think can kind of summarise that and tap into that so loads of people on the on the other side of that coin will say oh it's too hard and I can't possibly do it I think like Christianity for example is like that loads of people will say it's mm-hmm. too hard I can't possibly live my life like Jesus would want me to live my life but you watch something like Australian Ninja Warrior, you see people who are disciplined and focused on a goal. You think about the goal in Christianity, you just think if you just chucked a bit of passion, a bit of discipline, a bit of hard work in there, you might actually find you're going towards that goal much more quickly. Look at that. Look how deep you can get about Australian Ninja Warrior. And it's people running around trying to jump up walls. That's right. Just like Captain America, though. <laughs> Australian Ninja Warrior is awesome, and it's on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday nights from 7 on Channel 9. Or you can go to the on-demand service 9 now for all the episodes you missed, as well as behind-the-scenes stuff and interviews and all that kind of thing. Uh, Mark Hadley, yes, true or false little, answer, please. Yeah, a little Which, earlier. Actually, we're basically- it's a little bit weird because we're doing an, uh, a, a TV special this week on the big picture, but a true or false is about a film, Mark. It is indeed. And this one is about the film Beguiled. Okay, mm. so Sophia Coppola's latest film. She's got actress Kirsten Dunst in it. Again, it's the fourth time they're working together. She asked her to do one of the following three. A, take southern elocution lessons for five times a week. B, lose 10 kilo. Or C, learn to dress war wounds using antique medical instruments and sheep's blood. Which one was it? C, the sheep blood one. Sheep blood and medical instruments. It is an integral part of the plot. So it's not C? No. What is it? Ah, Tell us. Amazingly, she asked her to lose 10 kilo. (laughs) This is how close they have to be. And it's all interesting. It's it's actually quite interesting because there's actually quite a relationship between Sophia Coppola and Kirsten Dunst. In fact, Sophia Coppola, um, anyone who's looked at Kirsten Dunst might realise she has a little bit of a sort of twist around with her teeth. Okay, and Sophia Coppola went... 
you know, never lose that. Those teeth, that's perfect, just like that. So when Spine, when she was in Spider-Man, um, they actually asked us, we want to get your teeth fixed for the film. She said, no, Sophia Coppola said, <laughs> apparently she doesn't like a weight, but she loves her teeth. Right, okay. Well, coming up on the big picture, a real-life Australian ninja warrior will join us to share how they went on the toughest obstacle course ever before we talk about the most talked about show of 2017, The Handmaid's Tale. Welcome back. Now, before the break, we were talking about the most popular new show on TV, Australian Ninja Warrior. It's the kind of show that's easy to give expert tips about from the safety of our lounge, especially considering it's sponsored by a fast food chicken company as well. (laughs) But joining us for the press record this week is someone who actually had a crack at the toughest obstacle course in the world. Hello, Hope1032 Breakfast host Laura Bennett. Hello. I love that you set it up as the most difficult course in the world because it makes me feel a little bit better about what I accomplished by cheating a little bit. So, thank uh, re- you. So, sorry, Laura, did you say cheating a little bit? Oh, yeah, I did. I kind of said that quickly, didn't I? But yes, yes, you did. <laughs> Go back to the bit where you said you tried to cheat the toughest obstacle course in the world. What did you do? Yeah. So we went to the Enduro Ninja Warrior Challenge, which is basically the obstacle course that is a mirror image of what you will see on Cockatoo Island. So okay. it is... The monkey bars. There is the over-under challenge. There's probably more technical names for these things than I know. There's the cargo net. And you, the idea is that you're meant to keep your feet off the ground on that one, but I didn't quite succeed so well at that. And I don't know what this challenge is called, but it's like vertical surfboards with rock climbing grips on it. Oh, no, what, what you just said then was fantastic. Say that again. Vertical rock climbing Ver- boards. What? Yeah, vertical surfboards uh-huh. with rock climbing grips on them. Yeah, that's, that's going to then- take off that, that name. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. I think it's a good one. And I don't know what you meant to do with them because they're just hanging from the ceiling in a row of about six. So I just kind of ran through zigzag and like tapped them. <laughs> 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 uh, now, I, I, was, I was a little bit surprised, Laura, to discover that you hadn't made it through to um, Australian Ninja Warrior like, on, on TV. But now after hearing this, it, it's like actually it really fills in some of the blanks. Oh. Does it make sense now, does it? It does, it does, it does a little bit. But so how's your recovery been since you had a crack at the toughest obstacle course in the world? How have you been going? I think I realised that truly God did a very good job of making us and I haven't used most of the muscles that he created in the human body because they are the ones that I rediscovered giving <laughs> a go this challenge. You're giving this challenge a go because you use, you use so much of your upper body and like the little muscles everywhere. So I have been in pain and finding like that mint and clove recovery balm <laughs> has been my like best friend. Because for real, even though I only did the obstacle course once with no training, I feel like I have the level of pain that a proper ninja warrior would experience. <laughs> uh, and, and Laura, what else did uh, you learn about yourself by, by doing this course? Uh, we were just talking before the break about the TV show. And uh, on the show, you see a lot of background clips about people that are competing in this and the reasons why they're doing it and believing in themselves and pursuing goals and dedicating themselves, etc., etc. So what about for yeah. you? After doing the course, what did it teach you about yourself and pursuing your dreams? I feel like I should have something really profound to say. You should, yes. Going the extra mile and trying harder and all of that sort of stuff. But I think if anything, it shows you that you can do more than you think you can. Mm. Even if you have to train yourself up to do it. Because the the kind of challenges and the kind of obstacle course that you see them do on the show, they're not the everyday things that most of us are going to give a go. But if you just step up and actually experience it, you realize, oh, maybe I only do like 20% of what I'm actually physically capable of. And I'm sure that applies to a whole bunch more than just 
our time in the gym or our time hiking or whatever the physical aspect may be, just in everything. Like, look at what you're doing now and then think, if I did this even 10% more, 20% more, what challenges would I do and how would I broaden the experiences that I'm willing to kind of give myself to in life? I think that was the... That was the thing for me, but I watched a little bit of the TV show as well, and I realized, too, that we just make it look a whole lot easier. Like they do on TV, make it look a whole lot easier. So have a bit of self-respect and realize that it's going to be a little more challenging <laughs> when you give it a go than it is when someone else does. Uh, and very quickly, uh, Hope 103.2 Breakfast co-host Laura Bennett, who took on Australian Ninja Warrior, what's your number one tip for winning? Oh, well, cheating actually worked really well for me. Um, so Can we not say cheating anymore? <laughs> There's got to be another one. Come on. Totally. Well, you know what? If you're actually going to be able to win it, I think upper body strength is the key, particularly for the ladies listening. That's probably our one failing so far on the show if you watch any of them as well. But just give it a go. Like, just try and do cross-training as opposed to just one thing and you'll be sweet. And get some parkour under your belt too because I think that also helps. Thank you, Australian Ninja Laura. No worries at all. Thank you. Well, the big picture this week is paying special attention to the smaller screen with our unusual TV extravaganza. And if you thought Australian Ninja Warrior was unusual, well, make sure you're sitting down. The most talked about TV show of 2017 is The Handmaid's Tale. It's set in a near future that is a bit too near for comfort. It imagines American society as a ruthless religious regime anchored in birth control through sexual slavery. Starring Mad Men's Elizabeth Moss, sorry, The Handmaid's Tale, compels even the most casual viewer to question what they understand about the power of religion and our desire to control each other. You girls will serve the leaders and their barren wives. You will bear children for them. There's an eye in your house. I'll send you to the colonies. You'll be cleaning up toxic waste and then you'll die. Tonight is a celebration of Gilead and of what we have achieved. We only wanted to make the world better. Better? Better never means better for everyone. The Handmaid's Tale, gentlemen, was a novel first published in 1985. It was written by a feminist author, Margaret Atwood. It was actually turned into a movie in 1990 that Robert Duvall and Faye Dunaway starred in. Mm. But not many people actually have heard of that movie or remember it. But now, 2017, The Handmaid's Tale has come out as a TV show and pretty much it seems like the whole world's talking about it. So it is set in this near future in a dystopian America. A few states have broken away. Uh, There's been an apparent plague and and sort of environmental and other kind of toxic factors going on in the world. And that's uh, seemed to have caused um, a a lot of women to become barren. And then this new regime sweeps in and this leadership establishes a society in these breakaway states that's centred around the production of children. And handmaids are women who are fertile and in this new society they're treated basically as sex slaves there are these ceremonies where they're brought they're in they're in they live with rich families they have these ceremonies where they're uh, meant to be a surrogate for the husband and wife mm. uh it's very uh, intense and confronting viewing and from there, this, this show follows um, a main character called Offred, who's played by Elizabeth Moss. She's one of the handmaids. 
Whoa, whoa. I've seen about half the series. The whole thing is available right now on SBS On Demand. I've seen I've seen five. And what I would not recommend is binge watching Handmaid's Tale. I think it's an amazing piece of work, but don't binge watch it because there is so much in it and so much to take in that I think you should just like give yourself a bit of space as you're watching The Handmaid's Tale. It's so it's such a confronting watch. Wow. What you're describing, I'm just going to now use my three years of political science to say sounds like a theocracy. A theocracy, to me. Mark. Yeah, what is a theocracy? Well, basically, we're talking about uh, a religious government, aren't we? Is is that what's happening? That the world is being controlled by Christians? So that, that's the thing. Uh, this I, I was using words like religious regime to describe Handmaid's Tale, but yes, this is a group of Christians who have taken over this in this sort of fundamentalist totalitarian regime. And yes, it does represent a theocracy. Uh, one of the things I think The Handmaid's Tale isn't doing is ramming this down our throats. So I've, I've spoken to a lot of people that have been watching the show um, and they are, are quite confronted by the portrait of Christianity in this show, whereas I was almost pleased by it in as much as I think the show's a bit subtle in uh, ex- expressing whether these people are Christian or not. So the word Christian isn't even used. And this group of people uh, are using things from the Bible and they're using things of Christianity. There's a lot of terminology and, and stuff in there. But they're not actually running around saying we are Christians. And for me, that gives me a little bit of a breath, breathing a sigh of relief. Um, Margaret Atwood, who wrote the original novel, was responding to the rise of right-wing conservative Christian particularly voters and those in positions of power around the time of Ronald Reagan in the early 80s. It's no real surprise that The Handmaid's Tale has kind of taken off at the moment in an era where Donald Trump is president. A lot of his supporters are right-wing conservative Christians. Some people fear this is what could happen if Christians, quote-unquote, controlled society. But I think this is a in The Handmaid's Tale, it's a different version of Christianity than the one that Jesus is at the center of. Does it really matter, though? I mean, in all honesty, aren't they still using the Bible to try and make um, these people justify their actions and things like that? That's the thing. They are using the Bible to justify their actions. The way Scripture is used in this in this in this show in the, in this world in the Handmaid's Tale is so convenient, though, and a lot hinges on a, a kind of obscure passage in Genesis thirty that has to do with some women taking action, like taking. Issue in their own, taking things into their own hands and trying to give hand over slaves to men to have babies, and so somehow this society in Handmaid's Tale has actually concocted a world based on a couple of bits of scripture that I think is just selectively picking from the Bible to bring in a regime of power and control that you want to inflict on people, not use God's word in its entirety of what it's actually saying and calling us to you to, in the way to live. Is this a condemnation of of Christianity or more misuse of religion in The Handmaid's Tale? So that, that I'm more on the latter. I think it's more a misuse of religion, but I can understand why people watching it would think it's a condemnation of Christianity. And I'm not backing away from that. It definitely does, and it's definitely... Uh, Christianity present- doesn't sound like it's coming out very well. No, that's right. And it's definitely coming from a place of what some people fear a variation of Christianity could look like this if it wanted to, quote-unquote, take control of society. But again, I just don't think that the Christianity on screen is the Christianity that's represented in the pages of the Bible. It's it's just a much different thing. So I think this is much more about the misuse of religion. Because the religion here up on screen is patriarchal and brutal and judgmental and idolizes the birth of children over and above the equality and value of women. The way women are degraded in this society 
is like well, this is one of the reasons don't binge watch it is so confronting and challenging but that's not Christianity like, like I hope The Handmaid's Tale drives people back to the pages of the Bible the whole Bible not just Genesis 30 and don't just selectively pick out bits of scripture but see what is it actually saying about us and the way we should live in the world and that it does not represent what's up on The Handmaid's Tale but The Handmaid's Tale remains I think one of the best TV shows of the year and well worth watching Okay, well, every episode of The Handmaid's Tale Season 1 is available now on SBS On Demand, but Ben has said, don't binge watch, just take your time. Take your time. It's rated MA15+, plus for sex scenes, violence, coarse language, and other adult themes, and it stars Elizabeth Moss, Joseph Fiennes, and Australian actress actress Yvonne Strahovski. Yvonne Strahovski. She is terrific in this show, and she is going to go places. Well, actually, speaking of uh, Handmaid's Tale, one of our great supporters is Attorney News. And if you go over to attorneynews.com.au, you'll see there that Tess Holgate, one of their reporters, has a biblical and feminine insight into The Handmaid's Tale. Plus, um, you'll also see coming up on the show, we're going to be talking about uh, American gods. And I've actually got a video over there at the moment, which will probably preview everything. So if you got in really quick in the next music or ad break, you can watch it and then go, yeah, I heard all that before. <laughs> anyway, but no, go have a look at our supporters over at uh, attorneynews.com.au. Coming up on the big picture, can you guess uh, the TV show themes we're about to play for you that's coming up around the corner before Mark introduces us to American Gods? Hello to you, you, and especially you over there. Welcome back to the show. And this week's edition of The Big Picture is devoted to the TV that breaks new ground for the small screen. So, so far we've tackled Australian Ninja Warrior. Australian Ninja Warrior. Apparently that's Can our... cheering. Yes. Yeah. Clap, 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 clap. Okay, you guys, while you're running around the studio doing your laps, uh, we also did The Handmaid's Tale. And coming up, we're going to do American Gods. If you've actually missed any of this, check out the podcast if you're tuning in late. So we thought it only fitting to devote our soundtrack segment this week to a music mashup of themes to groundbreaking telly shows. So you ready to play along? Yes. Okay, so basically this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to play eight tracks, okay. one after another, and you see if you, you the listener, can guess them before Ben or Sam are able to chime in. Let's face it, on past form, you'll probably do much better because they're pretty rubbish at yeah, this. Yeah, my track record, you're right, rubbish does summarise. <laughs> okay. I'm really bad at this. No, we have a very smart audience. That's how I like to think we, about it. Yes, yes, we do. Why don't we kick off with the first track? Oh, Mark, that's a bit of an easy one. That's MASH. Yeah, it's MASH. Yeah, I'm yeah, glad you know that. One for one. There you go. You see, I, I want you to feel like you, you've got a good, strong start. Okay, did you oh, get that? Oh, is that right? Is that's how it land? works. Okay. Let, let's see how much easier I can make. The thing about MASH, though, you've got to remember, is it's a, it was a groundbreaking show because it was one of the very first American shows dealing with war to actually do it, take a negative take. To actually mm. say that war was a problem, as opposed to Americans conquering left, right, and center, and it was about the Korean War, but being aired during the Vietnam War. Okay, so telling people straight away, almost direct political comment on what they were seeing in the news. Let's do number two. What is this? Oh, that's. <laughs> I, but I did know it before. It says The Simpsons. Which, thank you for dump, for dropping yeah, the clip yeah, yeah. that actually says the name of the show. That's right. But even as it was going towards The Simpsons, that's enough, surely, for most people around the world to say that's The Simpsons. That's such. That's an unmistakable theme even song. Just that, uh, and uh, look, it's, it's one of the first oh. shows to take cartoon and turn it into adult entertainment. Mm. It's groundbreaking in that respect. So I thought it it deserved to be in our list. How about number three? It. 
It sounds old. That's it all I'm saying. It sounds like a truck oh, reversing at the start. Old. I, what is this? No idea what that Gentlemen, is. Gentlemen, this is MTV. Yeah? MTV. Oh. music became television. Yeah, okay, right. That Good is a groundbreaking move. When you think about it, what was before just you know the occasional film clip that might turn up on other sort of shows, now they're just collections of music film clips. Yeah. You know, groundbreaking TV. Let's go, okay, well, at least I'm ahead. <laughs> I've got three for three. How about we go on to number four? Oh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling the same way, Sam. Sesame Street. Sesame Street. Oh, that is. Soundtrack to my childhood. <laughs> oh, Big Bird, I love you. No, no, exactly. Now, here was the idea. When the, when somebody first suggested that they actually make television educational, it, the idea was, was completely shot down by the producers at the time, as if television could be educational. But here's the idea that you can actually... It's There's nothing wrong. It's not like TV rots the brain. It's how you use it. It's like a telephone or, or anything else. And so Sesame Street was basically helping us get along there. Let's go on to the next one. No, the love boat says love boat, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, I love Lucy. No. Yes. 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 Oh, oh, I, I love Lucy. Yeah, I've no, got no idea. I get a half mark for that. Well, you might not have known, but I love Lucy was actually the first sitcom. I had okay. always wondered what the first, what officially was the first sitcom. So we were transitioning yep. in American television from this kind of vaudevillian style hosted shows with the guests, you know, and people coming on and playing stuff to these little comedy insert shows. This is mm. like right back at the birth of TV. This is in the 50s. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So Some of us remember it. Anyway. <laughs> so you're on four, I'm on three. So you're ahead, Ben McEachin. Shall we go with the next one? Let's mm-hmm. go. Hill Street Blues? Yes! Oh, well done. Oh, man, well done. Wait, I wouldn't have known that. Everything I said about me being rubbish at this. <laughs> I wouldn't have known that at all. So you, you, you know Hill done. Street Blues? The thing no. about Hill Street Blues is it was the first television show to take the, um, you know, you usually have an episode with a storyline wrapped up in a bow by the end of it. Chips was like a classic cops thing. You caught the bad guy, he's in prison, let's start a whole What's new thing. What's this about? I haven't heard of this. Well, it's a cop show. Hill it's Street Blues is a cop show. From the early 80s? So, yes, it is. And and basically what it did is it introduced the idea of storylines that would span more than one episode. My that, goodness. Yeah, that might, and which is now we just take that for granted. Yes, of course yes. it's going to run. But Hill Street Blues was first. Well, look, we're on to the second last one. <laughs> Favourite TV show of all time. Oh, Star Trek. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Doctor, Doctor Who. This doesn't sound like the fan Star Trek Doctor Voyager. Who. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, it's you British. Bought. Yeah, it is. And there are audience members out there screaming at you now. I'm not. Yes, Minister? Or Mon- Prime Minister? Monty Python's Flying Circus. Is it? Oh, this yeah, that is, is Monty embarrassing. Python's Flying <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, boy. That's, that's a bit embarrassing. The comedy. We skipped no skip to the sketches. Yeah. 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 We skipped past the things. Like, all of the sketch comedy shows and all that sort of stuff that we ever have, you know, today, anything from Fast Forward and all those sorts of things are all living, breathing because of Monty Python's Flying Circus. Let's go to the last one. Give you a chance to survive. Survivor! This is my favourite reality TV show of all time. Yeah? And it yeah. should be. Non-scripted. What about Big sure. Brother? Oh, oh nice. <laughs> it, it should be because even though Big Brother, I believe, got a, a march on it by, I think, a couple of months in terms of its release, Survivor is the granddaddy of them all, of reality TV shows. True, true. And you've got to be happy it's up to 34 seasons And I've now. seen most of them. Yeah, I have actually. I watch, you every, I watch every season, yep. 
big amazing. fan. Amazing. There's a but, whole family of people out there who are just surviving alongside of you. Ben McKechn, you win. Well Thank done. Thank you. Yeah, finally. Whew. Well, our next TV review, Like a Handmaid's Tale, has all the critics ooing and ahhing about it. American Gods is an eight-part series uh, resplendent with desolate US landscapes, savage symbolic violence and surreal otherworldly twists. Think, you know, Fargo, Vikings and Twin Peaks all rolled into one. What? Sounds In like one good, show? Apparently. That's it. Whoa. Sounds like a good show to me. It's the story of newly, re- newly released ex-convict who takes up a job as the bodyguard for a shiftless con man named Mr. Wednesday. What he learns is that America is simply crawling with old gods and new ones, walking the earth, desperate to get their attention. But he shouldn't be surprised. Mark says human beings are master craftsmen when it comes to making gods. So what would I call you if I was so inclined? Shadow Moon, what might I call you? What's today? Wednesday. Today's Monday. I could use a fellow like you. You're my man now. You know who he is. Who he really is. He does not know our world. I'm easing him in. Ricky Whittle stars as Shadow Moon. He's this man who's been counting off his days till he returns to his loving wife from his prison cell. And then he's released early all of a sudden because she has died tragically. And who does he meet, coincidentally, on his way but this Mr. Wednesday guy? And Mr. Wednesday turns out to be basically the the skeletal remains, if you like, the elderly remains of the god Odin. What? Yeah, you see, there are... <laughs> oh, okay. I know. That was see, a twist. Well, that well, was this, unexpected. I know. Okay. And that's the thing. The whole series is like a whole... Um, twist a series of unexpected strange things where you realize that our world actually is full of gods and things like that but they're all dependent on belief and all those gods that people used to believe in when they came across on the mayflower or any other ship that took them to america are still there but no one believes them anymore so they're just eking out their existence you know Uh, but there's a plan mr wednesday has a plan to bring it all back again you know and that's basically what the series is all about it is absolutely fascinating yeah, now like The Handmaid's Tale is one of the most talked up shows of 2017. But Mark, what's it like actually getting to meet these American gods? You know, like personally, what are they like just, you know, roaming around America these <laughs> the days? The first thing you realize about gods is they're basically selfish. Duh, okay? Pesky well, gods. Think, yeah, no, they're really always thinking are, about themselves. They are. I mean, our concept of as Christians is that God is in fact actually thinking about us. Okay, whereas these gods are very much on about themselves. And why not? Basically, human beings are cattle. You know, they're acolytes. They're people who worship them into existence. You've got to get them marshaled and moving. And, and, and in fact, they take their relevance from them. Now, I've got to say, to be really careful, because they're so callous, there's a lot of violence in the show. There's sexual content. There's all sorts of stuff. I don't think anything more than Game of Thrones, but that li- literally sets the level for you. So if, if you... Because this is an R-rated program, it, isn't now, it? This is, this is a surprise rating, to be honest, because... I was surprised when I found out that it was R-rated, but I do I do want to say warning to people who would you know who would find themselves visually disturbed by this sort of stuff. If you weren't set Game of Thrones as your benchmark, if you weren't comfortable with Game of Thrones, you won't be comfortable with American Gods. But that said, it is a fascinating show about belief and worship. You know, it's incredible about the way that people treat gods uh, and how they've created gods and how we still relate and create to gods today. Before we get back to that, quick question. 
resurrection. I was saying earlier that The Handmaid's Tale, Jesus doesn't really show up in that portrait of Christianity. What about here? Does Jesus show up in American Gods? Jesus does show up. How could Jesus not be in American Gods? Uh, in fact, there are about five different Jesuses. What? You know, I, well, there's a there's the Mexican Jesus, there's the Black African Jesus, there's the White Power Jesus. There's the oh, like and, depending on which version of Jesus you and worship. This is the idea you see, we create our gods by virtue of who we worship, and so there are different Jesus. I I don't know. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, is there any tension in the plot? Where is it like there's got to be something pushing this thing along? There is basically that there are modern gods and there are ancient gods. Here, all the ancient gods have been forgotten, and on the other hand, there are gods that we're still worshiping today. Technology, globalized. Ah. Media. If you don't think you worship media, how often do you bow down to that little portable, or, you know, altar in your hand called a phone? But and that's the idea that um, the show is not saying that um, oh, gods are just you know for people who are crippled religious fanatics. No, they're actually things that we all have, whether we acknowledge it or not. Uh, Mark, what does American gods have to say about us? Basically, that we will worship. Okay. I mean, and the idea is that we will worship anything. Um, and in fact, we will always find something to worship. In fact, it's what the Bible says. We were designed not to be the top of creation, so to speak. But oh, I mean, I guess we are the top of creation, but we were designed to focus towards God. Uh, and so if we don't focus towards the right God, we will focus instead uh, on anything that makes us feel like we've got something to worship. American Gods stars Ricky Whittle, Ian McShane, ah, the awesome Ian McShane, Gillian Anderson, and a host of other gods, goddesses, and some mortals. It is rated R, I repeat, it's rated R, for high-impact bloody violence, sex scenes, and nudity. It's only currently available on Amazon's streaming service Prime, but it will be released to DVD and Blu-ray this week. All right, coming up on The Big Picture, an unexpected pick from The Vault, and Ben's top five TV shows you probably never heard of, but you should have. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us on our unusual TV extravaganza episode. Uh, This extravaganza is so unusual that before Ben brings us his top five TV shows you probably never heard of and probably should, we're going to talk about a stop-motion animated movie from the 1960s. Yes, a movie. <laughs> That's how unexpected on a TV special. Mm, a TV we are. special. That's going right. To the movies. <laughs> so for the vault this week, we asked Insights managing editor Adrian Drayton to tell us about a classic screen story that, like American Gods, which we discussed before the break, has something to do with mythology and deities. Adrian came back with 1963's Jason and the Argonauts, and here's why. The storyline's pretty kind of basic now. When you look back at it, if you look at back at some of the YouTube clips that you can see from the film or hire it from iTunes, you'll see it's kind of a very basic story about Jason and his band of, um, I suppose, adventurers who go looking for the Golden Fleece. And along the way, they're helped by the goddess Hera and um, his crew includes Hercules and a couple of other Greek gods and demigods of note. By today's standards, look a bit quaint with the special effects, but um, it was all the special effects and were stop motion done by Ray Harryhausen. Now, Ray Harryhausen, Adrian, might be a name that people have heard of but not necessarily familiar with, but in short, that guy was a big deal in special effects, wasn't he? He was. He did quite a few films in the 60s and 70s and even into the early 80s where he did the original Clash of the Titans. And a lot of filmmakers, particularly people who got into the special effects area, and I'd probably use maybe people like Weta Digital in that group of people. A lot of people got into the sort of special effects because of Ray Harryhausen uh, and the sort of creativity he brought to the early special effects in those movies. So even in the Lord of the Rings films, Weta Digital used 
models in the same way that Ray Harryhausen used in his stop motion in those earlier films. Adrian, I'd read that Peter Jackson had said that he would never have made a Lord of the Rings movie if it wasn't for Ray Harryhausen and the stop motion special effects that he pioneered and the miniature models that he used. Peter Jackson would never have gone on to try to attempt a Lord of the Rings film if it wasn't for Ray Harryhausen. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. And I think the one the reason that people favoured that sort of form of animation, like Peter, is because it's Peter Jackson, because it feels quite realistic in a weird sort of way. Like early CGI special effects were quite look very kind of a bit cheesy as they were developing the CGI in sort of the nineties. So some of the science fiction films you'd seen in the nineties with CGI looked it kind of even looked as bad as when you look back at some of the stop motion animation of Ray Harryhausen, which at that time was groundbreaking. And so I'm not surprised that Peter Jackson says that because it's that kind of form of animation makes the characters feel quite real, I suppose, for want of a better word. Everything from like the, the first Jurassic Park film to the animated work of Tim Burton has been significantly inspired by those stop-motion creations of Ray Harryhausen, including most famously Jason and the Argonauts. That's right, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And I'm, I guess if people look up uh, Jason and the Argonauts on places like YouTube, the most famous scene out of Jason and the Argonauts is a very quite complex fight with about 12 skeletons so they brought to life and so that that's kind of one of the iconic scenes out of Jason the Argonauts. It's been ripped off in loads of places including the Simpsons I think have taken off that yeah. scene so a lot of people I would think would probably have heard of Ray Harryhausen may even have seen the skeleton sequence we're talking about at very least seen him ripped off and know of a lot of the filmmakers that he inspired but why should any of us, do you reckon, go back and watch Jason of the Argonauts then? Why should we check it out? You know, it's just a classic journey of a, like a hero's journey film. So you, you see a lot of them lately. It's great. Like all good story, storytelling, it has some kind of a bit of a ripping yarn about the search for the Golden Fleece. I'm not unlike the Bible. There's quite a few ripping yarns in the Bible and parables. <laughs> um, it's a great story. I mean, when you look back at it now, it seems a little bit low-tech, but I think that's part of its charm. Thank you, Adrian Drayton, Insights Managing Editor, for those spectacular thoughts on uh, a movie you may not have heard of, but a guy who's involved with that movie you might have heard of, Ray Harryhausen, uh, quite a genius when it came to special effects. Head across to insights.uca.org.au for more of Adrian's reviews and thoughts. And also, uh, Mark and I provide videos to Insights every week. The big picture hands over video stuff. We, uh, Mark and I did a roundtable chat about The Handmaid's Tale. Go to insights.uca.org for more detail on The Handmaid's Tale and plenty of other stuff. We're nearing the end of our unusual TV show extravaganza and I think we still have to do a top five because it is course. the best part of every week. Yeah. yeah. And we then are. you've got a different one for us. I do. Week. Top five TV shows you've never heard of but here's, and you probably should have, but here's the, the you know, kind of... Uh the, the caveat to that, the explanation. I didn't want to go too far into TV shows you've never heard of because that's quite the challenge, and I, I was up for that challenge. And so I could have said something like, oh, have you seen that TV show The Kingdom that uh, that Danish director Lars von Trier made in the year 2000 and something? And the seat people would have been switching off. So instead, I've tried to pick shows that, okay, possibly you've heard of. By the or, way, I've seen The Kingdom. Or, uh, there you go. One person's seen The Kingdom. Possibly you might have heard of, but you probably haven't, but you really should. So here we go. Five. Freaks and Geeks from 1999. Have you guys seen this? 
I haven't seen it, but I know it's got a lot of big stars in it. As, yeah, as they weren't big stars then. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. James Franco, Seth Rogen, Jason Segel, and Linda Cardellini, who uh, most recently was in Bloodline. All those guys were in the show from Nine Nine Nine, which was created by Paul Feige, who's a director behind. The recent Ghostbusters remake, but he also made Bridesmaids, and he's directed loads of The Office and Parks and Recreation. Mm. So all these people are involved in this show, which is set in the 1980s in a high school, focuses on two groups, the two groups of the title, Freaks and Geeks. Freaks and Geeks is available at the moment on Stan, I think on Netflix as well, so you can find the show. I think as people go around those streaming services, they might have seen like the poster or the name of this show, but not necessarily thought of checking it out. You really should. It, I think, is like an edgier, funnier, cool a grittier version of the Wonder Years or Happy Days. That's <laughs> wow. what Freaks and Geeks has to offer. Wow, okay. Um, I was having a good think about like across the world, different TV shows, and I wanted to pick something from Australia. Uh, a special mention goes to a TV miniseries called The Devil's Playground that was out a couple of years ago that Tony Collette was in and a bunch of other stars from Australia, Jeffrey Rush. Um, that also, I think, is on Stan or... Uh, no, it was on Presto, which is now dead. Anyway, The Devil's Playground was an amazing piece of work I don't think many people saw, but not as amazing and, I think, sadly, almost forgotten... The Late Show from 1992 to 1993, defining Australian TV sketch comedy show. Yeah, I've got the champagne comedy edition of it. There you go. Mark's got it. So Mark's heard of it. So go around to Mark's house. That's right. You can borrow my DVD. If you've never heard of this, go around to Mark's house. He'll give you the champagne comedy edition. Uh, This, a little bit like Freaks and Geeks, uh, introduced to Australia a number of uh, comedians who became uh, very... uh, uh, powerful, influential on the Australian comedy scene. Everyone from Mick Malloy to uh, to Santo Chilaro and Rob Sitch. Rob Sitch. And so the team that was behind The Dish and The Castle, but also more so recently... Working, working Dog Title. Working Dog Title. Theirs, yeah. That's right. And Utopia, the TV series. So that was kind of born out of The Late Show, which for my money and my brother's money in the early 90s was was just hilarious. Um, you've got to prepare yourself for, for some of the language. And also, if you actually see it now, it gets a little bit dated. But... That, it was an incredible contemporary comedy show that, unlike the other ones at the time, like Comedy Company or Full Frontal, like like actually had a go at stuff and was resoundingly funny and didn't just rely on like you know old cliches and things. The Late Show, early nineties in Australian comedy, things, was fantastic. Things like The Chaser basically built off The Late Show. It's that comedy which is insightful as opposed to just you know um, bottom jokes. <laughs> Three. Uh, another comedy at number three, Mid-Morning Matters with Alan Partridge, which also <laughs> is on the streaming <laughs> service Stan. So uh, Alan Partridge is a character that was created. The message is, people, just get Stan. That's, that's, <laughs> maybe I've been watching a bit of Stan lately. Yeah. Uh, but the, the, uh, Alan Partridge is a character created by Steve Coogan, who's a British comedian I think a lot of people uh, would know. Alan Partridge he created back in the mid-'90s, and Alan Partridge had a, had a variety of TV shows about him. He started off with a fake talk show, and then he had a number of TV series based around him as a uh, as a radio announcer. Mid Morning Matters is being locked in a room with this guy who is one of those people, a little bit like David Brent on The Office, but he's not at nearly as awkward or as repulsive. But it's the sort of guy who overstates his own abilities and yet has spectacular moments of insecurity and vulnerability all in front of your eyes. And he just says crazy stuff that comes into his head all the time. And Mid-Morning Matters is basically, it's like watching the big picture, but a, but a half-hour version of the big picture. So if you can imagine <laughs> watching the big picture happen that before your eyes, that's what Mid-Morning Matters with Alan Partridge has to offer from 2010. Two. And now for something totally different. 
from 2008. Science fiction? No. No, you'll be surprised, Mark, I didn't go down the science fiction path. Instead, I went more for uh, a fictionalized version of non-fictional events, Generation Kill. From 2008. Oh, it's a brilliant show. Mark's seen it. Uh, but loads of other people haven't, and I'm surprised at that because it's made by HBO, which mm. is you know one of the most famous TV production companies around the world, everything from The Wire to Game of Thrones. But Generation Kill is this show that also was co-created by the guys behind The Wire, David Simons and Ed Burns, and it's based on a, a real Rolling Stone reporter who was embedded with some American Marines in 2003 in the invasion in Iraq that happened then. What is so amazing about this seven-episode show is I didn't think it was so much an anti-war propaganda series, but instead it just depicts the sad meaninglessness of war and what can happen when a bunch of dudes who are trained to kill are like in, in a military operation but they don't really know what they're there for, how kind of crazy they can get, but also just how desperate to pretty much go and destroy stuff, even if they don't know why. That's what they're there. That that's the position you're left with, and you're embedded with these guys in Generation mm. Kill. It's intense viewing, but it's an amazing piece of work. But anyway, not nearly as memorable as one, two thousand and eight to two thousand and ten's Gavin and Stacy. Oh, Gavin gosh. and Stacy. Have you seen it? <laughs> yeah, one episode was enough. Really? <laughs> Wait, whereas I come out completely on the other side of Mark's dismissiveness. This is three seasons of a British sitcom about a young woman and a young guy getting together. It was co-created by James Corden, mm-hmm. who's gone off in the States, got his own talk shows, that carpool karaoke guy. But the reason I chose it at number one is, uh, one, my wife told me about this. I'd never heard of it. She saw it in England years ago, loved it. We watched it a couple of years, in the last couple of years what i liked about it is unlike say generation kill or all kinds of other shows you can think of it was quite a nice charming show and it chronicles the delights and frights of everyday life and i didn't think they overstated things Mm, it's very mm. funny uh, constantly but you're really embedded in the brutal uh, honesty of how people can often be their own worst enemies as they go about trying to make decisions in their everyday life these Mm. were these were real people but funny people so I think Gavin and Stacey, unlike Mark, it seems to be indicating is well worth a watch. Uh, no, 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 I think so. I think so. I told myself, if ever I saw you again, in the flesh, like, that I... What? That I'd tell you something. Oh, Stace, I'm going for a curry with Dave. I'll call you tomorrow. If you say it, I'll say it back. I love you. I love you too. That's charming. Aww. Gavin and Stacey, so charming it hurts. Yes. <laughs> and that's all the time we have for the big picture this week. You can always grab the podcast if you want. And coming up next week on the show, it's our otherworldly show with a monster calls. Also, Christopher Nolan stirs up memories with the epic Dunkirk. Plus, what the Bible has to say about ghosts and my top five ghostly adventures. Next week, I shall remain Ben McKechn. And I'll be Mark Hadley. See you then. The Big Picture is a Bible Society Australia production, sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world.